Welcome to the Landscaping Podcast. My name is Joel Barnett and I'm your host. And today is, I think it's the 30th Instagram Live that we've done. And we've got Cam Lynch from Timeless Landscaping Projects coming up on this week's episode. And so that was a pretty cool chat with him. He's a landscape builder from Ballarat. And he's also got the first question, which is, have you noticed an increase in people incorporating ponds or streams into landscapes again? So it was something I was looking to do more of uh, just because I liked the look of them and I thought, you know, you could get good at it and do them pretty fast and have a bit of a, um, like a, what's the word? Like a production line set up going so everyone knows what they're doing so you can make them pretty easy and the more you do, the, the quicker you get at them. And we did one, but then since then we haven't done another one. So I haven't, I certainly haven't noticed it, but um, if people are wise, I'll be getting people who are specialists in it because there's a lot of people who that's, a lot of what they do um so uh, i certainly haven't noticed an increase but um perhaps the there might be more people niching down into that side of things because it is a specialized thing to do not only not so much when you go in the pondless waterfalls but when they're actually a pond and a real ecosystem built in that's that's when you're better off getting someone who knows a lot more about what they're doing uh, craig from toe garden management said do you charge out all of your staff at the same Right. So I do because it helps because we've got uh, myself and two qualified guys, so we're all about the same you know, expenses anyway. Um, but it's a lot easier just to do it that way. So it might be more accurate if you do charge people out differently, like you know, everyone's based on whatever they're actually earning and all the all the rest of it. But it's yeah. It's a, it's, it's a lot of effort to to work out who's going to work on what days when you're trying to quote a job. So it's a, it's a lot of easier if you've just got a day rate for your team and then everyone's just sort of averaged out on that. Because what like it's different when you're doing maintenance compared to construction because maintenance, there's a lot more projects where you're just doing, you might be doing stuff at an hourly rate, whereas none of the work we do is hourly rate. It's all uh, quoted projects. So it's more of a day rate. You work out how long something's going to take and, and charge that. Um, and he just said that he agrees. He just had a client question it recently. Like if it's, it'd be hard for me to not sound like an asshole to a client if they questioned me about what the hourly rate is, because I'd ask them. I'd, I'd be interested to know if they have their own business and if they've got a clue how much work cover is and all the other stuff that you've got to pay for. And um, like you could, you could sort of put them in their place pretty quickly, but it can turn into a bit of a negative situation if you do it like that. But you could just sort of explain to them, like, I have to pay 250 bucks a week in work cover every single week. So I'm not going to charge, you know, and like, let's say I'm earning 40 bucks an hour. I'm not going to charge them 40 bucks an hour plus, what would that be? 250 bucks a week, six bucks an hour for work cover, like, and put and, and itemize that on the, on the uh, invoice. You're not going to itemize all the different things that you're charging for. So, um, yeah, you might just want to think about a polite way to to tell them that there's a lot of expenses that aren't included that like that they might not think of. It's not just you're not just a labour hire company where you're just getting paid labour and you don't have any overheads. Um, so it's, yeah, it's one of those things. People who are in business don't have a clue about how all those things, so you can't expect someone who's not in business to know all the different costs. But just um, yeah, if they if they question it, just explain it to them nice than what I would. 
Yeah, Michael4766 said, do you ever underquote just to get a job as it'll be a good job to do? So I certainly have done that in the past, but not not anymore. So that was part of the um the plan to get the to get the top end projects that I wanted to work on. So as soon as I got the opportunity to quote on one of them, I was always going to charge it lower so that we can get it. And then um yeah, just do an awesome job on it. Know that you're going to lose a bit of money, but you could just mark it down as marketing so then you can get more of those projects. And that that has happened for us. And it's not to say it would happen for everyone. And it could have gone south potentially. Um, so you don't you don't to quote too low, and it, and also if you quote too low, the client and it's a like a yeah you know, high end project, the client might think you don't know what you're talking about, and you're not going to get um they're not going to get a good job if you if your quote's low. So yeah, you can actually still lose the job even if you do quote low. So it's a bit of a balance to find, but um, but yeah, plenty of people have done that in the past and will do it in the future. So I have done it. All right. Bluebeard Lawn and Gardens said, body management, what procedures do you put in place for longevity? So not as much as I should. Uh, so we don't do anything formally as a as a team, but individually it's something I need to do more of. Um, winter's not a, an encouraging time to, to do that type of thing, but I am pretty keen to get back into walking again and, and doing the yoga. Haven't done anything, especially since when the garden show started. That just threw out my routine, and I haven't got back into it since then. Because then you just get busy, and then it's winter, and not not very. Even though I've had a pretty dry winter, so just just making excuses really. But um, but yeah, that's something I'm looking to do more of. Just get get the body moving, stretching, um, and be proactive rather than reactive when something goes wrong. Um, so yeah, I don't do enough at the moment, but. The older you get, the more likely you are to get injured. So, and then it's, it's you're also slower to recover. So, definitely a lot better to be proactive in that and, and not reactive. Uh, Jade and TA Turf Guru said, "Not a question, but I'm a bit flat that you didn't think Adam Cooney deserved his Brownlow." So that's in reference to their um, the awards last year, not choosing winners in some of the categories. Um, but I do think Adam Cooney deserves his Brownlow. I was just pointing out that if you group all the Brownlow medalists together, him and Shamo Woden would probably be a couple of the worst, but they still awarded it to the best player. So you still, even though that year might not be as good as other years, if someone's the best, that's that's what award they get. So that was uh, my point there. Uh, Simon from the Planted Space said, "What are you? What are a couple of plants or trees that appear regularly on in-style design gardens?" And in terms of trees, I would say it's a uh, crepe myrtle, so Lagostromia, Natchez, depending how you say it, Nachos, the white Lagostromia, the white crepe myrtle. Sorry, I had one of them at the garden show, and that happens to be in my backyard now as well. So that'll be going at my place, even though I've got no idea where it's going to go at the moment. That's one of my favourite trees because there's just so many. They look awesome in the foliage. The flowers look good and mainly the bark and the form of it as well. But the bark doesn't start to look good until it gets mature, but um, when it does, they look pretty cool. And they've got, yeah, a bit of a gnarly growth habit as well, so there's a lot to like about them. Uh, in terms of small plants, uh, I don't know. If 
I put a lot of um, arthropodiums and ligularias and lamandra tanika because they they go, you know, skinny side of a house where there's not much sun. sun. Uh, this sort of, yeah, they, I do put them in a lot. There's nothing too exciting about them. Um, but, yeah, Lamandra Tanika, I put that in a lot because I think it looks good. A lot of people don't like it because it's – a lot of people don't like plants that are easy, like uh, your cast iron plant as well, but that doesn't look as good. But if something's easy to grow, they don't really like it because it's not – I don't know, it's not a challenge or it's too common. But I think Lamandra Tanika – is one of the great plants because it grows in sun or shade and doesn't require a lot of maintenance. Uh, M Cook Dog, apologies if I've said that wrong, but any tips on creating a curved bench seat? Uh, the the way I did it, so to get the right uh, radius on every, whenever I've done it, like if I was doing, um, like I've done a couple of timber, uh, timber decking board seats, bench seats. Uh, I use my landscaping program to work out what the diameter is. Well, I measure what the diameter is of the seat, and then I use that landscaping program to work out what the um, angles of the decking board should be cut at. So it's uh, yeah, it's it's hard to explain, but but I didn't. There's no sort of maths formula that I know of to work it out. I just did it on my computer on the landscaping program. So, uh, but if if so, if you've got a certain uh, diameter bench seat you're wanting to do and you know what size decking boards you're going to do and the gaps, uh, let me know and I can work it out for you within a couple of seconds. Um, but, yeah, that, other than the tips, not sure there's anything I've learnt from mistakes that we do differently than the ones that we've done. Uh, just allow enough time because there's, a, like, a lot of cuts if you're doing uh, the decking boards in a radial pattern like we've done. Because you know, we cut down both sides and then use a um, a router to soften the edges, so it doesn't, so it's not a sharp edge. So it looks like it's, it's a uh, what a normal decking board would look at would look like with the pencil round edges. So it's just a little detail that most people wouldn't notice, but it's one of those little one percenters makes a big difference. Now, Fig Landscape said, "How do you see the landscape design industry moving forward with AI? Positive or negative?" That's a good question, but I'm um, pretty pro um, technology in most things. Uh, every piece of technology that comes along puts someone out of a job, but um, my grandma used to deliver milk on a horse and cart, and there's not, no one delivers milk anymore. So, yeah, there's always developments and things change where people lose their jobs because, yeah, things get developed. So... Uh, and I certainly see a big impact with design from AI. It's only early days yet, but it's um, yeah. There's going to be things where you can design. You'll be able to choose. It'll be almost like a shopping list. I reckon you'll be able to choose things you want within your design. Put your measurements in, maybe a few photos, and you'll be able to get a design done um, pretty quickly. So there's always going to be people wanting to get a design done by a person. But it's also good because there's a lot of people who can't afford to get landscape designs done because they might want to do it themselves with a small budget. So, yeah, they might freak out if they have to spend more than $400 on a design. So it'll be there'll be those type of people will be the ones using that first, I think, because um, I don't th- I can't see it being an expensive thing to have because I think there'll be a lot of 
providers for for these apps uh, eventually. So, yeah, at the start, it'll be it won't be the market of most people who are doing the top end landscape design. But then um, there's always going to people always going to be people wanting the them to do the design anyway because a lot of the big names charge a lot just because of their big name. So other people charge a quarter of what they charge and do a design that's just as good, but they haven't got as big a name as them. So there'll, there'll always be um, people doing designs, but I think uh, the AI will certainly have a, a big impact in the future. In a bloom landscape said, how do you quote excavation to make a profit? Clients don't see the value in it. Uh, a lot of the times I haven't quoted excavation to make a profit. I've quoted it to lose money, but then I gradually learned that I should be allowing a lot more for doing the excavation. And and the important part of that is doing job tracking, so keeping an eye on how many days you're spending doing the excavation and what the tip fees are. And it's important. Like in, We're pretty lucky in Geelong. We've got uh, clean fill sites and concrete sites where we can take stuff for just about nothing. So we can get rid of stuff, pretty good prices. but um, yeah, it can be pretty expensive to get rid of rid of material from a site. So uh, another way around that is to incorporate it in. So if the if you get got to get rid of a lot of soil, you could actually not get it rid of as much and just sort of work it in with some new stuff that you bring in. That's still sort of fluffing it all up for the roots to get into, but not so much getting rid of everything and then bringing in completely new soil that's different to what it's sitting on top of. Um, but yeah, the key is just to uh, quote what you think it's going to cost. And then keep an eye on the costs. And then if you haven't allowed enough, increase that next time and just gradually keep um, keep learning from your own mistakes. Um, some people do that as a, uh, they'll sort of do an estimate. So, and then it's just an hourly rate. So, that it, so they'll say the excavation might cost this much, but um, yeah, it'll be what it is. But if you're providing a professional service, you should be, you should, provide as much of a quote as you can for the client so you know if you're putting paving in and you're going to be putting in you know if you're going to have to usually dig down 200 mil below for the finished height well you can work out what you're going to be doing uh, and allow for uh, allow for it to be clay and not easy to dig out so if it is if it is easy to dig out then you make more profit if it's not easy then you've allowed for that anyway so there's there's room for profit to be made there, um, but yeah, I I do hate doing the excavation, so it's not ideal. And if you get an excavation company in, they usually won't give you a quote; they'll just charge hourly rate, and then you've just got to allow enough for them, which that, that can be a bit tricky as well. Um, but yeah, just try and allow too much, and if the client doesn't like it uh, as a separate item. Like I have it as a separate item. It's always the first one, and you always want to have your clauses in there. So, like, and I think mine says something like, "If oh, I'm not going to remember what it is because it's too late in the day," but it's a, a rock clause, and it's got uh, asbestos mentioned in there as well. So, if there's unforeseen rock, asbestos roots, concrete found, then there'll be extra costs with that. And I've only had to use that twice. I think maybe even once. Um. So, yeah, it's not it hasn't been too bad. You're better off just having you know, one of those things in there to protect you, just in case you do find um, something. Oh, we actually also found uh, we were digging up a concrete driveway to put down some flexible brick paving, and we so once we 
we're pulling up the concrete driveway, there was a little bit of sand, and then there was another concrete driveway underneath. So that was another time where that clause saved us from uh, having to pay for someone's driveway to get removed. Uh, Adam Pringle said, what are some of the big ticket items you put into your own backyard project, and is there a budget? Uh, the big ticket items would be the olive tree that we use at the garden show as well as that uh, crepe myrtle. There are a couple of big trees we got from Waters. Uh, and then there's the the barbecue, the fire pit. I don't know if the fire, that fireplace is going to go in yet. Um, yeah, but the barbecue bench is pretty cool. And uh, I think there might be, oh, and there's also a um, a lounge setting, like an outdoor lounge setting, which is pretty cool. So I got them from Outdoors Domain. Um yeah, there's going to be some crazy paving in there using, uh, it looks like, Eco's Endicott crazy paving, but I won't be getting it from them because I don't want to pay that price. So we'll get that from Granite Works. I think that's called Cavalis or something like that. That's a pretty cool-looking, light-coloured, quartzy-looking crazy paving. Um, But, yeah, the backyard... I'll go where got a veranda out there as well. I'm just going to get that signed off. But there's not too much going in there. There'll be a lot of grass in there. So, yeah, you know, it's just because while the kids want to be running around out there on the trampoline and kicking the soccer ball. So, I'll just be making it for them. This front yard, there won't be any grass in. So, that'll sort of be where I'll put a, um, coincidentally, actually. So, I'm going to have some concrete floating steps in there. But uh, going back to Cam's questions about the, uh, ponds and streams. I'm thinking of putting in a pondless waterfall in the in the front yard. Um, so yeah, there's just some. There's a spot there for it, and it's and because I'm able to put steps in there, it's got um, it's got the height to be able to do a bit of a slope, a natural slope as well. So not so much creating like a volcano for the pond to to then fall down. Uh, yeah, it's actually naturally sloped, so it'll should look pretty cool. It has some plants around there, so. And that's what I'm thinking of doing there. But I, I was going to do a pondless one, but I've also got uh, a creek across the road which has got frogs in it. So I'm kind of enc- trying to encourage them to come across. But then I know that they'll, uh, they'll get a bit, they get a bit rowdy at night. So I don't know if I want to encourage them too much because we've got um, there's no houses across the road. So we've got there's a creek there, and on the other side of the creek there's cows. And sometimes we can hear the cows mooing at night. It sounds like they're at the at the back door. Like it, it's funny how. Noise gets a lot louder at night, so if you have, it's in a balance between wanting to encourage the the um, wildlife to to come across and get around us, but only if they keep their voices down at night. Uh, John Foot said, "Do Dan Foreman and Ashley James expect to have a mention every week?" Uh, they do because they give me twenty cents every time their name gets mentioned. So thank you for asking that question, John. So it's, I'll be able to make a phone call now. And had an anonymous question, but this one was sent through as a, a voice recording. And then when I've gone to replay it again to write it down, it won't play. So I hate when people send me voice recordings because it's much easier to read things. Now, you wouldn't believe it. Coincidentally, I can actually hear the cow mooing now. So I must probably going to have a, a rowdy night tonight. But yeah, this this uh, anonymous question, yeah, when you get sent them as an audio, it's hard to. Like if you're in the car, obviously pulled over and not driving, but 
if you're trying to listen to it, you've got to connect your phone to the Bluetooth so you can hear it. Um, that's just, yeah, I'm not up with the times in doing these fancy voice recordings and sending them as messages, but but this one had an Irish accent when it came through. Um, I think it was something about if Peter Donegan was to come out to Australia in late October, would it be worth catching up for a beer? So that could be happening in late October. He's doing a bit of a uh, whirlwind tour around Cairns and Singapore and I think Brisbane, Melbourne and maybe Sydney. So that'd be good to see him back here again. And then last question is, oh, we've got one from, not the last question, but Eartha Scapes. So do you, give, do you guys build many batten screens? Uh, we do, yeah. So Bethany Williamson does a lot of them uh, to like cover an ugly fence or a brick or an ugly garage next door and things like that. We've done a couple of jobs for her. Um, Steve Taylor did one using radial timber battens, so they were pretty cool ones using the 5540 ones. They're kind of like a triangle profile. They're 55 mil at the back and 40 mil at the front and then angle inward using silver top ash. And then we put a black Japan stain on them, so they, they look pretty awesome. And I, I did that same thing at my place on the on a gate. Um, so yeah, batten screens are a good way to go. Um, pretty sure we're doing one on one of the projects I designed coming up as well. So um, we do, and we've done a couple as well with concealed fixing. So fixing it from the back, but uh, I don't know if they're worth the effort because. Yeah, if you if there's some pretty nice looking small screws you can use because the battens are so small you don't need to put two in there, so you only put one screw in there, uh, and there's not they don't warp or move from my experience, so you can use small screws so they don't they don't stand out that much. It's not like you're using a, a massive batten screw on them. So yeah, so they look nice using the the um, fixings from behind, but it uh, depends on the project and if people are going to want to spend that much money to make it look like that. And a lot of the time they've got plants growing in front of it anyway, so it's only going to look like a screen for a few years and then it'll be hidden by plants. So, yeah, just one of those things where you, you could spend that money elsewhere and get more value out of it. Now, last question, though, is from Steve Nyland. And so he asked last week about uh, who would be a two-people team I'd add from the, the guests we've had on the podcast to, uh, to join the install team. But he also said, or... What about a five-person dream team? So I've picked five people who I would have as a dream team who have had guests on. I was going through it just before, and there's, there's probably I could easily do ten. So there, there's obviously some extremely talented people who have been left out, but uh, I went with two people from design, two construction, and a maintenance one. So I've gone with Bethany Williamson and Steve Taylor in design. So Steve can still do his couple of days a week on site. Doing construction as well as we as needed, and the construction teams Dan Foreman and Lloyd Sharp, uh, Lloyd's from the Landscapists. So that'd be that'd be actually. And now that I think about it, they probably wouldn't be too good people to have to working together because there would be no work done. There'd just be too much laughing going on, I think. But that would be a lot of fun to have those two together. Uh, and then maintenance we go with Cam Hainsworth. They're so doing some nice things and. The reigning Nick Van Diemen Award winner of the Landscape Victoria Awards. So, uh, yeah, that's the five people I would have, you know, in a dream team style arrangement. So that's the last question for tonight. So thank you very much for everyone who submitted a question. And 
as I said at the start, I've got Cam Lynch from Timeless Landscaping Project, who's going to be this week's guests. And yes, I've only spoken to him a couple of times just in Instagram messages, so I didn't know him well at all before talking to him. But it's just, and again, one of those people you talk to, man, he's just an awesome person. So uh, really looking forward to, to that one getting listened to and getting some feedback on that because I reckon it's a great episode. So, uh, yeah, thank you very much again to everyone, and we'll see you next week.